Good morning, church. I'm privileged to introduce Dr. Paul Chitwood to you this morning, our speaker on this Mission Sunday. Brother Paul has been the president of the International Mission Board since 2018 and has led us through a very difficult time with political upheaval, hostility towards missionaries around the world, and then this global pandemic. These things have impacted greatly the thousands of missionaries that have been sent out through the International Mission Board. We here at The Cave, we partner with the IMB through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and then also directly with missionaries who are engaging those peoples who have never heard the gospel, such as the river people. A native of Jellicoe, Tennessee, brother Paul and his wife, Michelle, have one son and three daughters, and two of the daughters are adopted, uh, one from overseas and one in which uh, they fostered uh, for a number of years before adopting. So we are thrilled that uh, Brother Paul is going to speak to us this morning. Uh, before we do so, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, just thank you for the privilege of being together to worship you this morning. We know brothers and sisters around the world who are forced to gather in secret under the threat of persecution for their faith in Jesus. This morning, we pray for Brother Paul. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him um, to grow our faith in you, to open our eyes uh, to the gospel needs around the world, and then to consider our responsibility in taking the gospel both here in Roanoke and across the globe. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus, the one who died for all peoples. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hoover. Uh, Hoover and I go back uh, a long ways. Uh, we actually were uh, peers at uh, Cumberland College some, what, 30 years ago? How did that happen? Uh, he, he did... He did threaten at one point uh, to bring out pictures and stories from our college days in this introduction. I'm thankful that he uh, did not do that. Uh, and uh, even more than that, I am thankful to be here with you today. Uh, thank you, Pastor Pete, for your faithful ministry uh, here at uh, Cave Spring and, and Pastor Allen for the privilege of stirring this pulpit for the uh, opportunity that uh, it is giving me uh, not only to, to, to come back home, uh, in a sense, as I drove up the church and looked up at those mountains, uh, having grown up uh, not on the eastern uh, side of the mountains, but on the western side of, of uh, essentially this same mountain range, uh, but now living among the flatlanders in Richmond, Virginia, uh, it was good to be back in the hills, a place where uh, I, my hillbilly dialect does not have to be translated in order for you to understand it, uh, and to, uh, uh, to enjoy a feeling of home today. Uh, I also want to say thank you, church family, uh, for all that you're doing. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and sharing the gospel in this community. Thank you for your uh, partnership with the International Mission Board. That happens in so many different ways, as, as uh, Hoover referenced, uh, both from your Lottie Moon Christmas offering giving, uh, from uh, your, your partnerships on the ground with us overseas when COVID will allow such side-by-side uh, uh, -side work. Thank you for... 
your generous giving through the cooperative program. In fact, uh, your church leads the way uh, in uh, giving to support mission work at home and abroad uh, through the cooperative program. Uh, you're one of the top giving churches in the entire state of Virginia, and, in, and the amount, the percentage you get, over 10% through the cooperative program, uh, really you, you are one of the leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention in that amount of sacrifice. And so on behalf of uh, the more than 3,600 missionaries who are serving all around the world, uh, their 2,700 plus kids uh, who are with them uh, overseas and, and surely serving with them, I want to say thank you. Thank you for praying for them. Uh, thank you for supporting them in so many different ways. Uh, thank you for enabling them to be there and doing their work. Uh, we're, we're grateful, and I say thank you on behalf of 422 new missionaries who were appointed and deployed during the pandemic. Uh, many would have thought that uh, it would make sense to go on pause for a little while. Uh, I mean, how do you send people around the world in the midst of a global pandemic? But because you continued to support and God continued to call, and open doors. Uh, the lost among the nations uh, continue to hear the good news of the gospel, and uh, much of that is being shared through even new missionaries who have just uh, been appointed and sent out. Uh, and God is using your investment. God is using our cooperative work. God is using our missionaries. Uh, in fact, during this past year, we, we just uh, put together all of the the reporting for 2020 uh, in the midst of a global pandemic, we saw God moving in tremendous ways, significant uh, increase in all of our uh, effectiveness and, and, and the, the, the data that we track to, to gauge our effectiveness and how much work remains to be done. There was significant increase in 2020, even over 2019. Now, who would have imagined that? with missionaries on lockdown and many having to exit their countries and all of the disruptions, who would have imagined uh, that more than 750,000 people would hear the gospel overseas from your IMB missionaries and their close Baptist partners on the ground? And yet they did. And that was an increase of a quarter of a million over what we had seen happen in 2019. So there was a growth in the work. Uh, we uh, actually witnessed 144,000 professions of faith as a result of those three quarters of a million people hearing the gospel. And we're able to see 89,000 new believers baptized. And that's almost double the number who was baptized in 2019. Uh, one other thing, uh, just in terms, I don't want to overwhelm you with statistics, but I want you to know that during a pandemic, there were more than 18,000 new churches birthed overseas. And so we thank God for what he is doing. We thank God uh, for the work of your missionaries. Thank you for supporting those missionaries. Thank you for pressing on. Uh, many challenges in, in uh, your local ministry, uh, many challenges in uh, the extensions of your ministry around the world, but you have continued to press on and how grateful we are. Uh, now the challenges are real. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to getting to heaven. <laughs> uh, there's, there's no pandemics in heaven. Uh, there's no presidential elections in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's no cancer in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no addiction in heaven. Heaven? Well, it's heaven, <laughs> which may make us wonder, God, why didn't you just save us and take us to heaven? If heaven is so much better than earth, and is it, it is in, in, in every way. 
Why has the Lord left us here? And that's really the question I want us to focus on this morning. Why are we here? The book of Isaiah, chapter 56. We find the answers to that question. It's interesting that you don't have to look hard in the Bible, and you don't have to look in only one place. The entirety of Scripture answers this question. Why are we here? Why is the church here? Why is Cape Spring still here? Why are we here? And I want to just jump right into answering the question this morning. And, and let me tell you the first reason why I believe and Scripture reveals that we are still here. We are here because of the people's plight. We're here because of the plight of the people. Uh, the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah. And because you understand the context of, 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 of the days in which uh, Isaiah the prophet was ministering as your uh, pastor has been pray, faithfully preaching uh, through the book of Isaiah and I've had the opportunity to listen to some of his sermons online. I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for indeed his faithfulness to the text and revealing the word of God to the body of Christ. And, 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 and the context that you're well familiar with is these have been difficult days for God's people. It's interesting that many of the difficulties that the Lord's people were experiencing were of their own making. You ever make trouble for yourself? I've made trouble for myself. It's the worst kind of trouble because you don't have anyone else to blame, right? When you make trouble for yourself. And that was exactly what had happened for the Israelites. They had made trouble for themselves. They had made trouble for themselves by turning away from the Lord. They were worshiping the false gods of the nations, the idols. They were treating the poor unjustly. They were disobeying the word of the Lord. They were living in sin and rebellion against God. And yet God still loved them. And he had sent prophets to call them back to himself. And yet they did not listen and they did not turn. And yet the Lord, knowing they were walking a pathway of destruction, was willing to do whatever it took to, to turn them back. And, and the book of Hebrews speaks to that by comparing the love of God and the discipline of God to the love and discipline of a father whose children are walking outside of a way that is safe and right and good. And the Lord had warned His people, knowing they were walking a path of destruction, that they should turn back to Him or they would experience His discipline. They still did not turn back. And the Lord, well, the Lord did what He said He would do because God always does what He says He'll do. The Lord removed His hand of protection from them. They were overrun by their enemies. The holy city was destroyed. Many of them carried off into exile. It was a time of great pain. And that pain, just as God intended, led them to repentance. And that's really where we pick up here in Isaiah 56. The Lord's people are turning back to Him. And now, instead of a word of warning and a word of judgment and a word of discipline, God has a word of hope for His people. 
again from the first verse, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. My salvation is coming. Good news for a people who needed good news. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man, verse 2, who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning in it, keeps his hand from doing evil. The Lord had a good word for his people, the Israelites. But the Lord was not just speaking to them. In fact, as we come into verse 3, we find him addressing two other groups of people. He says in verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And then let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. So it was not just the Israelite, the Jew, God's elect, his chosen people who were hearing the Lord offer this good word of hope. There were foreigners who were there, and not simply foreigners, but they were believing foreigners. Those who had joined themselves to the Lord. Those uh, who, who had trusted and believed in God. And yet, uh, their response to hearing the Lord speak a good word to His people was interesting. The Lord knew what they were thinking because He always knows what we're thinking. He knows our hearts. And so He said, don't let the foreigners join themselves. The Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from His people. Why would the foreigner have thought as God was bringing this word of salvation and hope that, that God would, would separate him or her? Well, because honestly, there was a sense in which the foreigners always felt separated from, from God's people. When the Lord's people gathered for worship, there were certain places in the temple that the Israelites were allowed to go, but the foreigners were not allowed to go. When the people gathered for a fellowship meal, the foreigners had to eat on their own. The Jews would not eat with the foreigners, even the believing foreigners. Nor could the foreigners eat with the Jews. They always felt a sense of separation. And they're wondering as they hear God speak of His coming salvation, but does this include us? Is there a good word for me? And maybe you're wondering that today. Maybe you came in and you feel a little distant from, from the Lord. Maybe you feel a little distant from His people. Maybe you're wondering, do I belong here? Is there a place for me here? Does God have something to say to me? Be assured He does. There's a word of hope for you as well. Those who are near and those who are far, the Father loves and he offers hope. And then there's that third group of people who just assumed, well, there's nothing here for me. The eunuch. A eunuch, typically not a eunuch uh, by choice, but by force. A eunuch was more often than not a slave, one who was owned. One who had been put in that state so he would not be a threat to his owner's family. The hopeless of the hopeless, the most lonely of the lonely. One who owned nothing but was owned. One who likely didn't have a name except slave or servant. One who had no family nor prospect of having a family. And just assuming because they had never heard a good word for them. There was no word to be found here. That's hard to identify with the plight of a slave, isn't it? And yet, spiritually speaking, the Bible says you are a slave, or at least you were. And it's true of all of us, because the Bible says this, 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible also says that one who sins is a slave to sin. And the horrible thing about this plight is that, as the Bible goes on to say, the wages of sin is death. Slaves, we've all sinned. And to sin is to be a slave to sin. Aren't you thankful for a Redeemer? Aren't you grateful this morning, church, for a Savior? Doesn't your heart rejoice when you think of one who loved you enough to take your sin upon himself, to pay the price, the wages of that sin in full, though he had not sinned, becoming sin for us, redeeming us, buying our freedom. And the Bible says that any who trusts in him and what he has done, paying the price of our sin upon the cross, being raised from the dead, we call that trust faith. The one who has turned from their sin and turned to the Savior. In sorrow, we call it repentance. The one who has acknowledged Jesus as Lord because he is. The Bible says you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. Your sin has been taken away. You've been adopted. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? And yet, as those of us who have put our trust in Jesus gather here to worship Him today and celebrate the freedom and what it means to have hope and be a part of His family, we know we would not have to go far outside of those doors to find dozens, hundreds, even thousands across the community who are still enslaved. Still enslaved to the same things that once enslaved us. Still enslaved to their, their greed. Still enslaved to their lust. Still enslaved to the, uh, uh, the, their lying and gossiping tongues. Still enslaved to their sin. The same things that once enslaved us. And church, that's why we're still here. We're still here not only because of those thousands out there, but those billions among the nations who aren't in here. And by in here, I don't just mean in this building. I mean in God's family. And it is because of their plight that God still has you here. It's because of the people's plight it's also because of God's promises. He has left us here because He has made promises that He well intends to keep. Looking at the text, we, we find the Lord addressing uh, these groups in turn. He, he turns immediately to the eunuch and, and offers wonderful promises in verse 4. The eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and don't fast my covenant. Hear the promises to the eunuch in verse 5. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. You'll no longer be known as, as slave or servant. You'll have a name better than my own sons and daughters. You'll have a place. You'll be welcomed in to my family. I will give them everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And then verse 6, the Lord turns to the foreigners. 
Remember those who, who said, uh, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. The Lord says, no, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, love the name of the Lord and be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane and holds fast my covenant. Here are these promises, verse 7. These I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Remember the foreigner felt separated from the Lord and his people, but the Lord says, no, that's not the case at all. I'm going to bring you into my holy mountain. I'm going to make you, give you joy in my house of prayer. I'm going to accept you and your offerings here. And then I love the end of verse 7. Just so you don't ever question whether you have a place with me, the Lord says to the foreigners, or in my house. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. It's interesting that word peoples in the Hebrew is the same word as foreigners. You see what God does there? He says, do, do, do you have a place? Well, you, you do, and, and here's how you're always going to know it. I'm going to rename my house after you. My house will be a house of prayer for the foreigners, for the peoples, for the nations. Oh, what wonderful promise God has made. To those who he would welcome into his house. By the way, thank you for building a house. Michelle and I had the opportunity to see a house you built just before COVID hit when we were still traveling to visit with your missionaries around the world. Uh, we were actually in Uganda and saw a house that, uh, that you built. Now, it, it wasn't much like my house, probably not much like your house. It was a rather small house. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know, in size, it was uh, maybe about uh, from, from, from here to the instrument, and uh, it was divided into two rooms, I recall, and it was, it, was, it was a brick structure, it was made of brick, had a tin roof, a dirt floor. Uh, now, there, there was no uh, plumbing in the house, and it's not that you failed in that, it's just that, well, it's where you decided to build the house. <laughs> You built the house in a refugee camp, and there's no sanitation lines or water lines in the refugee camp. Uh, there's no electricity in the house, because again, you built the house in a refugee camp, uh, and there's no electrical grid or power lines, no electricity available in a refugee camp. Uh, the, the, the house is unique for, for a lot of reasons, not just uh, those things, but the house is unique because of who lives in the house. There's a 16-year-old boy who lives in that house that that you and your generosity and support of uh, your missionaries and their work around the world helped build. 16-year-old boy lives in that house and his four younger siblings. It's a bit unique in, in who doesn't live in the house. There's no mother lives in that house. There's no father lives in that house. It's what we call a child-headed household. Five kids. It's a miracle they're there. Not originally from Uganda, they're from South Sudan. If you're familiar with Sudan and South Sudan, it's a place where war and genocide has gone on for generations now, and millions have lost their lives, presumably the mother and father of these five kids. I don't know how he did it. I, I, I don't know if we'd ever even uh, believe it if we heard the story of how a 16-year-old boy brought his four little brothers and sisters on foot out of South Sudan 
walk them out of South Sudan into Uganda and into this refugee camp. It was there that one of your missionary families uh, uh, learned of their plight because the missionary family works in that refugee camp helping meet needs and share hope. And, and becoming aware of the situation, five homeless kids, foreigners, refugees from another country with absolutely nothing in the refugee camp, they, they assess the needs and build them a house. They have food in the house. They have access to the other basic needs that a family of five kids has. And then there's something else. They've been told about a father who loves them and who wants to adopt them into his family. And he is a king. And he is prepared a place for them. In fact, in John 14, we read about that very thing, do we not? Jesus says, oh, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And whether I go you know in the way you know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus has made a way for us to be in the Father's house. And in fact, He gives this reassurance to those uh, who would trust in Him and who would follow Him that He's preparing a place even now for you if you've trusted in Him. And if you haven't, you can. For five orphans, any refugee, thank you for loving those orphans enough to send missionaries to work in a refugee camp. Thank you. You've never met them, but thank you for loving them enough to give generously so they could have a house. Thank you for loving them enough so they could hear the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and be adopted into his family. We all need a house, don't we? We read here about a father who welcomes those who are near and far. Was anyone a soccer dad yesterday? Soccer mom? I, I, I spent some time on the soccer field yesterday. That's not something new for me. <laughs> uh, my kids range from, uh, uh, Hoover mentioned uh, our four kids, they range in age from 24 to 9. I did the math yesterday. I've been sitting on those sidelines for 20 years. I was there yesterday with our nine-year-old daughter. I don't get to make a lot of her games, but, but uh, I didn't have to travel far to get here uh, this weekend, so I was able to stay yesterday and, and see her play in her soccer game. She had such a good time. She lost, but she had a good time. I enjoyed uh, watching. She, she's one of our adopted daughters. Uh, she uh, originally came into our family when she was three. We were foster parenting through the Baptist Children's Home when we lived in Kentucky. Uh, we'd had a a teenage boy for about a year and he had had a, a new placement and they reached out to us and said are you you ready for another child and I said, well maybe and they said oh that's great we've got just the one for you uh she's the cutest little three-year-old i said oh now wait just a minute <laughs> uh, i've done three three times <laughs> and uh and that's enough how about an older child they said oh no 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 it, it, it's it, it's it's fine she's such a sweet little girl 
Uh, there's no behavior problems. I said, you're lying. She's three. I, I mean, whoever coined the term terrible twos, that's a misnomer. This, it kicks in at three. And, 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 and then they said, well, it, it's just for a little while. She's about to go back with her mother. It's just a temporary placement. Okay. And Lily came into her home for her temporary placement. Well, a year later, <laughs> uh, they called to say, you know, Lily's mother uh, wasn't able to make it through her addiction recovery program and, and things have fallen apart and, and her rights have been terminated. And Lily is available for adoption. Would you like to adopt Lily? Well, it didn't take us long to answer. Absolutely. Uh, she called me daddy from day one. She never had a father in her life. And, and she just fit right into our family. She was doing so well, and we loved her. And said, absolutely, we'll adopt her. And so we began a process that became a very long process. Those of you who have, who have been exposed to the foster adoption care system uh, uh, in the States, some of you have been through that process. You know what a broken system it is. It, uh, it's probably as true in Virginia as it was in Kentucky. And, and so we were going on nearly three years when I had the invitation to come and work for the International Mission Board. And that would mean that we would be moving from Kentucky to Virginia. We felt the Lord leading us in that way. And, and so I reached out to our social worker to explain, hey, we, we, I've accepted a job in Virginia and we're going to be moving. And, and I knew we needed to let them know that because any time we traveled with Lily out of state, we had to report in. And, and uh, I said, we'll come back for you know, court dates or whatever we need to do. She said, oh, wait just a minute. I said, what is it? She said, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I said, well, how does it work? <laughs> and she said, uh, well, it doesn't work. Uh, Lily is a ward of the state of Kentucky. She cannot live outside of the state of Kentucky. I said, well, how do we fix that? She said, well, when the adoption's finalized, she can move. I said, well, then we need to get it finalized. We've been waiting on you all. It's, it's going on three years now, and, 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 and the Lord's calling us, but we're not leaving her. <laughs> And she said, I'll do all I can. And so I called her the next day. I said, what'd you do today? And I called her the day after that. I said, what'd you do today? <laughs> and I'm sure she wanted to block my number within a three or four days of that. But uh, uh, she, she really was trying uh, to do all she could. But even a, the most conscientious and well-meaning social worker, and she was all of that, has a hard time moving a big broken state system. And so... Uh, as time was getting short, I reached out to her supervisor, began to explain the situation. She said, oh, I know about the situation. I said, well, I need some help. <laughs> she said, I'll do all I can. And yet nothing happened. And so we called uh, the cabinet for child and family services at the state and, and, and talked to the director there and explained the situation. And I said, we, you know, we're moving and, and yet we're still waiting and, 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 and we're told we can't take her. And she said, well, that's true. I said, well, how about getting this thing finished? She said, I'll do all I can. And nothing happened. <laughs> and we're getting real close to the end. And, and, and then I reached out to the governor of our state. At the time, Kentucky had a pro-life governor. We'd been working with him. I, I was serving churches in Kentucky, and he was working on some pro-life legislation, actually some legislation to reform the broken adoption and foster care system in the state. And and so I reached out to him, and I said, Governor, we've been trying to help you at least where we agreed with you. 
and we need your help. And every night, we called out to the God of heaven, Father, you've, you've, you've given us Lily, and you've called us, and, and we can't fix this. We need help. And then like two weeks before we moved, we stood in Judge Derwin Webb's courtroom in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, and God answered our prayers. And Lily was pronounced our daughter. I share that with you because it really gets to why we're here. There is a father who has announced his intention to adopt. And he's going to adopt from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, those who are near and those who are far those who are spiritual orphans, those who are enslaved to their sin. But he loves them. And his son has come into the world to pay the adoption fees in full as he gave his life to cover our sin. And if you are in Christ, indeed, you have a home in heaven. He's preparing a room for you even now in the Father's house. And yet you're still here. Why are you here? Because they're still out there. But the thousands in this community and the billions around the world And you're the social worker, and I'm the social worker. We're the cabinet supervisor. We're the ones who God has privileged to be a part of this adoption process. We're the ones who share help and hope with those who need Christ. It's why we're here. We're here because this is the very purpose that God has for us. Indeed, the people have their plight. God has made His promise. And he's given you a purpose, and he's given me a purpose, and he's given the church a purpose. Uh, we find that uh, summarized and stated really in a beautiful way in verse 8. Look with me at that final verse that we'll consider today. I, I, I love the wording, and there's one word in particular that's important for me. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet, and here's the word, others to him besides those already gathered. Others. That's an important word for me because I was another. I was not an outcast of Israel. The one who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others. I'm not a Jew. I'm not an Israelite. I'm another. It's probably the case that most of us in the room are among the others. Not Jews, not Israelites, but the Lord, the Lord is gathering others. I'm thankful for two Baptist laymen, deacons in fact, who met in the church parking lot in a church in the mountains. Smaller church than this in a smaller town than this. They set out from the church parking lot, walking through the community, knocking on doors. And at one point that evening, they made it up to a little rental house at 210 Province Street. It was the next to last house on the road before the road ends in the mountain begins stepping up on the porch they knocked on the door there was a young man in his 20s who came to the door I don't know if they knew about his situation recently divorced raising three little boys on his own at the time ages three four and six but what they did know 
is their lost neighbors needed to hear the gospel. They needed Jesus, and so they invited that young man to church. I'm thankful that my father accepted their invitation. And that next Sunday, somehow he managed to get three little rowdy boys ready, and, and he took us to church. And there we found a church family, a lot like what I've observed of this church family. A church family that cared about people who were lost in their community. A church family that welcomed them in. A church family that loved my family and helped us in our brokenness heal. And, and it wasn't but a few years after that, that, there was another knock on our door, and it was our pastor. My older brother had been asking questions about what it would mean to give his life to Christ. And my pastor came, and just like your faithful pastor would do, he sat down in our living room, and he shared the gospel with my older brother. And my younger brother and I were sitting in the floor, and we were listening in. Pastor Alan Herod got three for one that night as we all trusted in Christ and were saved, baptized together just few weeks later in the baptistry of the little First Baptist Church of Jellicoe. Oh, I'm thankful for a church family that knew why it was there. And I'm thankful to be here in a church gathered with a church family today that I sense you know why you're here. But if you're here and this isn't your church family, and in fact the family of God isn't your family, today we want you to know that there's a Father who loves you too. And His Son died for you. And the good news extends to you. His son has done everything that needs to be done for you to be welcomed into his family if you would only put your trust in him. Faith. Turn from your sins and turn to the Savior. Repentance. Confessing him as Lord because he is. The Bible says you'll be forgiven and you can be welcomed into God's family. Why would you delay in that today? Maybe you've already committed your life to Christ. And knowing that there are billions among the nations who have yet to hear. And knowing that God has been stirring in your heart to go. You're ready today to say yes. I'd love to talk with you. The IMV is still sending missionaries. 422 in a pandemic year. And there are still billions who haven't heard. And church, that's why we're here. Do not forget why you're here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for the hope of the gospel, for welcoming those who are near and those who are far into your family. Thank you today for doing everything that needs to be done for anyone to put their trust in you and be saved. I pray, Lord, that your good news would go forth, not only in this community, but to the very ends of the earth. And Lord, even as you have said, it is your desire to use us to get it there. Might you find us ready, willing, and faithful to take it. In Jesus' name, amen.